Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. We are here with another Inside Carolina roundtable. John Siegley is your host for this one, and I am here with Tommy Ashley, Sherelle McMillan, Ross Martin, and Greg Barnes. So first off, guys, how's it going tonight? I think everybody's exhausted. ACC tournament <laughs> yeah. was a long one. Greg and I got back today. Well, Greg, you flew straight from the straight from the arena. It looked like essentially, I, I uh, had a eight o'clock flight out, and I didn't think about time change, so I took about an hour and forty five minute nap at the, the hotel, and then got up and headed over to uh, JFK. Yeah, I got back around two or three to RDU, and. Took like a four-hour nap before the uh, the games were announced, but now we're all set to go for the tournament. I know, and after Tommy and Sherelle were staying up late with those post-game pods, I think you know Carolina went a little bit further in the ACC tournament than a lot of people projected, but they really got a boost out of it. And let's just start there, guys. I and mean, Carolina was the number five overall seed, number two in the bracket with Xavier, and they will be starting in Charlotte. I think Greg, you had the stats on this, but isn't Carolina's record in Charlotte like something crazy good for the Heels? Yeah, UNC is eleven and zero in Charlotte, and they're thirty three and one in the state of North Carolina in the NCAA tournament. So clearly, uh, a home court advantage for UNC. The one thing that I see about this Charlotte pod is I'm a little sick of seeing Providence there with Carolina. I don't think it'll matter. I think Texas A and M may handle that, but guys, I think we can agree. Um, or maybe we can or can't, but I think we can agree that Carolina really got a good bracket for this team. Now we'll talk matchups a little bit more, but it is one of the first years I can remember um, not having a beef with just about anything in Carolina's bracket. I think the kind of the, the key takeaway is after UNC beat Duke on Friday night, you start looking at UNC's resume and you see 14 Q1 wins which is by far the most in the country. And you're saying, all right, so is UNC all of a sudden in contention for a number one seed? And historically, there's never been a team with nine wins to get a one seed. There's never been a team with eight wins to get a one seed. There's only been five teams with seven wins to get a one seed. UNC, of course, was one of those last year. But UNC's resume was just so much better than a lot of these teams, including Xavier. Um, and I think the fact that UNC is the two in Xavier's bracket kind of gives you an indication that had UNC beat Virginia, I, I think it's fair to say the Tar Heels would have been a number one seed. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons this bracket sets up well for them. Now, Michigan is very hot, and we can get into this. So that is a tough three, even though UNC beat them back in December. A lot has taken place since that point in time. Both teams have gotten a lot better. Uh, but Xavier, I think, is a weak number one. They're going to have to prove it to me. A uh, resume is just not very impressive. Uh, they've they've you know, played Villanova twice and got the rear ends handed to them. Uh, lost to Providence uh, this weekend, and so I mean, you, Carolina beat Ohio State, who's the five in the bracket. They beat Michigan, so there's some good teams there. Uh, but I think that's one of the reasons why UNC got a favorable draw is because their resume is so strong. They're at the very high end of, of that two-seed group. 
Yeah, I think the main thing, kind of piggybacking off Greg here, is there's nothing really scary for UNC in this West Regional because it is the weakest number one, in my opinion, as well. I think then you look at some of the other teams that UNC could face. You know, Providence, they've played a bunch since the way tournament. And, you know, they're playing well, but it's not like it's a super scary team. They've already beaten Michigan, so you kind of know what you're going to get there, even though they are playing well right now. Uh, you know, Gonzaga lost a lot, and they played a weak conference, and they're 30-4 and four overall. And then, you know, teams like Florida State, Ohio State are teams that UNC has played. You know, UNC did lose to Florida State, so that's kind of interesting there. I could see a team like Ohio State or Florida State or, or Gonzaga knocking off Xavier. So I think it sets up well for UNC uh, to definitely get to, to Los Angeles and, and even to San Antonio if, uh, you know, if the matchups kind of set out set up well and, they're playing the basketball. What we learned in Brooklyn, and Greg and I can talk about this more if, if, if time allows. I mean, they really started clicking in a lot of different ways. I think defensively is a main thing to look to in terms of how they played against um, Miami and Syracuse and even Duke uh, defensively and also things clicking offensively. So like Greg has always said, UNC likes to build. And, and Dean Smith said they like to build momentum in the tournament. That's kind of what happened in, in Brooklyn. So, yeah, Sherelle, let me throw this to you. Prior to the ACC tournament, what did you think Carolina's seed was and how big of a jump do you think they hit then by getting all the way to the championship game against Virginia? It seemed like they were um, a consensus from everybody who does this for a living that they were going to be a three seed. Uh, And I think the win over Duke uh, helped propel them to solid two seed, um, to to be a a solid two seed because – uh, North Carolina Duke, we talked about the resume. One thing that was uh, interesting to me, and I've talked about this with a couple of friends, Matt Morgan, who's an IC contributor, was the committee talked about quadrant one wins and they had talked about it being important, but you never know how important it is to them until they put it into practice. So we were going under the assumption that, yeah, Carolina's got a ton of quadrant one wins. They have a great strength of schedule. Their resume looks great, but you never know exactly how the committee is going to wait that it could just be a tiebreaker. Like if it was Carolina and Duke in this situation for Charlotte and a two seed in the West, maybe Carolina having more quadrant one wins was going to be what pushed them over the top. But what we saw, I think was they really did value it. And it's something that I think teams are going to have to schedule uh, for moving forward that, um, you know, play a a couple more top 50 uh, neutral court games, play a couple more top 75 road games, that kind of thing. Um, because the committee has shown that it's something they're going to use moving forward. So f- for me, um, on the revelation of the of the release of the brackets, that was the biggest um, kind of takeaway is that the quadrant system is here to stay and it's really important to the committee. So Tommy mentioned Providence, and I'm with you. I'm kind of sick of seeing them as well. But I think it was Ross who who said, or, or Greg, you know, they actually were able to beat Xavier, the number one seed in their tournament. Tommy, what do you think about how that matchup might look for this year for the Heels? Well, I think if it happens, Carolina will be fine. Was it two years ago they played Providence in Raleigh, and Providence had Chris Dunn, and that was a pretty good ball game. I just think Carolina is is clicking to the point of you know, not really concerned about a matchup that early on. Now, Texas A&M has got some more athletes, but Greg, I'll come to you – for that, I mean, I don't like seeing Providence again because I don't like seeing Carolina play the same teams over and over. It's always neat to get into the tournament and, and see Carolina play other teams than they that they see that they don't see regular. But Greg uh, Lipscomb, 
no, never say never, but Lipscomb should be a pretty good ball game. The health of Cam Johnson's going to play a role in the second round, though, don't you think? Oh, yeah, for sure. And one thing about Ed Cooley's teams is they play tough. Uh, you know, Chris Dunn was a heck of a player. Uh, it's going to be, a, a, I think, a great NBA prospect. He's already, he's already kind of showing that. Uh, but those teams were tough. You know, Carolina also played them back in 2014 in the NCAA tournament. And Cooley knows what he's doing. And not only did they beat Xavier, I mean, they had a chance to beat Villanova in the Big East Championship game. They took Villanova to, to overtime. And I think you know, Villanova and Virginia, far and away, are the two best teams in the country. And so I don't think, I don't think you can say Providence necessarily is, is clicking at the right time just because they lost a lot of games in February. And they lost some bad games, and they lost to DePaul by 17 early in the month, which is a, a bad loss. That's, that's not a good DePaul team. Uh, but they found some rhythm uh, at Madison Square Garden. And so you know, they've got a, a handful of guys that are scrappy. I mean, when you got a you know, 5'11 point guard and, and Kyron Wright, Cartwright, uh, he, he, he knows what to do. He can make some big shots. Ronnie Bullock's played well. Uh, Diallo, the uh, small forward they've got has played very well you know, over the last week. So I think that's going to be a very uh, interesting matchup. Texas A&M, after a hot start, they've kind of cooled off a little bit. So I would have to say Providence has probably got to be the favorite in that first-round game. So it will be a challenge, especially if Cam Johnson is limited. Uh, he, he clearly was struggling uh, Saturday night. I mean, he was struggling a little bit Friday, but clearly struggling Saturday night against Virginia. Did not have his typical game. And so that's that's going to be something we're going to have to watch this week. Yeah, and I'll hop in on Cam Johnson. Uh, I talked to him for about two minutes in the locker room uh, last night, I guess, or what, Saturday night. I know Greg talked to him at, at different points. We both kind of got uh, to, to talk to Cam about his injury. Uh, it's a, it's like a back, you know, strain, spasm kind of situation. He says his back just kind of tightens up when he starts running. And if it's not loose, you know, it has some issues there. And you kind of saw him struggling to, to move effectively around screens and, and chase his defenders around against Virginia. Uh, you could kind of see him really straining. And, and, and obviously when he did fall, that was kind of the end of it. He checked out, I think, at the, the 520 mark or the 620 mark and didn't come back in. So they're going to do the, the normal treatment um, you know, every day this week, trying to loosen up that back and get things uh, back and situated. Obviously playing on Friday helps UNC in that case as opposed to playing on Thursday. But uh, it was a tough, you know, four-game stretch for UNC. All the players were banged up. Um, Kenny Williams, Luke May, the bigs especially down low because um, it's just really tough playing that high intensity of games back to back to back to back. And uh, with the Cam Johnson injury will be something to watch. Uh, I don't think it's that big of a deal compared to what Joel Berry's ankle was, but kind of a similar situation, something to monitor looking going forward. And yeah, you know, Greg was talking about the the. I guess everybody was talking about Providence against Texas A and M. You know, I think Carolina should hope that uh, Providence wins the game because Texas A and M. One thing I've only seen them a couple of times, but one thing they have is size. And you know, Robert Williams, who most people had in the lottery last year, decided to come back. He hasn't played that great um, this season, but he is capable. And he's talented and he's big. And then they also have Tyler Davis, who uh, Roy Williams gave a look to in recruiting. He never offered him a scholarship, but he watched him a couple of times. And he's another big guy in there who can score both 6'10", uh, 250, 260. So that could be a challenge for Luke May, Theo Pinson, and the young big guys. So, I mean, and they also have a point guard, who uh, TJ Starks, 
who uh, can be really, really dynamic offensively. He can also shoot them out of games, but I think he shoots above 43, 44% from three. He's really quick. Um, so they have pieces. I think uh, maybe the pieces are better than the team. And for, uh, you know, if they were to meet North Carolina in the second round, the size I think would definitely be an issue for for Carolina. Yeah, and to build on that, I mean, if you look at their starting lineups that they've used, and not only do you have Williams and Davis inside who are both you know, 6'10", 240 plus, uh, but they got small forward and Hogg, who's 6'9", uh, Gilder, 6'4", shooting guard, and as Sherelle said, you know, Starks, they're 6'2". So, you know, they would have a size advantage on UNC for sure, uh, which which could lead to just some challenging matchups. So, and Hogg is, he's a, he's a great shooter. I mean, he, sometimes he comes and goes, but he's another guy that, that was on the kind of the fringe of getting an offer from Carolina um, when he was in high school, but he, he's a shooter. So it's just, there, there's a chance if they play Texas A&M that we, we talk about matchups. I, I saw Ross tweeted it out. It's all about matchups. Texas A&M, even though um, they haven't played well, it wouldn't be the best matchup for, for UNC. I tweet that out because it's just everybody says that. It's just like a, a common thing during into the tournament time. You say, but, oh, it's all about the matchups. It's all about the matchups. But it's true, though. You know, it was a good yeah, point. Yeah, it definitely is. It's just funny. And, and the it, other thing I'll add is if you go back, uh, I just remember this because I wrote a story on it. I think it was in 14. Uh, that was a year that UNC, uh, let's see, they were in the East region. Virginia was the one. Carolina was the six. Nobody was expecting a lot. And then, lo and behold, Connecticut, as a seven seed, upsets Villanova in, on UNC's side of the equation. So you're looking at it and saying, okay, well, you got a seven seed that UNC would potentially have to play, uh, you know, in the Sweet 16. That sets up very well for the Tar Heels. And, of course, Michigan State went on to upset Virginia. And then what happens? Carolina loses on a, a game winner by Iowa State. So, Matchups matter and how things fall matter. But at the end of the day, you've got to take care of business or, or none of it matters. Well, let me swing this to you, Ross. When you're looking at Carolina's bracket, who do you think is the team that the Heels should be kind of on the lookout the most for? Uh, you take it game by game, John. Um, <laughs> oh, but, come on. Uh, Ross come with on. the coach speak. Yeah. Uh, I like it. Yeah. You know, I mean, all right, let me I, nothing, say, nothing nothing to get to LA scares me, you know, like Michigan is playing well, but I mean UNC killed them when when UNC wasn't even playing their best basketball. Uh I mean Houston, Montana, none of that. I mean, and then you look to LA and they could face um, you know, obviously Xavier or a team like Ohio State, Gonzaga. I mean, I don't know, Ohio State's playing pretty well. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I've been watching a lot of Ohio State basketball, but, you know, those teams have made runs as of late. It just, I mean, it just sets up really well. I think it's the first time there's not like, like obviously last year you saw Kentucky and they were like, dang, that's going to be a tough matchup, you know, catching Kentucky in the lead day. That's kind of scary. But uh, this year, nothing really, it's no like big name or, or some stud you think that can just take over a game and, and kind of outplay Carolina. I mean, I think the Vegas odds would have UNC getting to getting to uh, San Antonio. I, I think crazy. the fun thing about this bracket is that you look at it and say, okay, like Ross said, there is a clear path to the Final Four. But we have all watched North Carolina this season play. <laughs> and there is no doubt in anybody's mind that if they don't come out and play their A game, they can go home in Charlotte. And they can go home in every round after that second round, I think. But if they play their A game, San Antonio's a legit possibility. If they play their B game, 
they're going to get knocked out early. And that that's it's it's scary for fans, but it's exciting because it sets up well, but they have to take care of business. I, I certainly agree with that. And I was going to ask uh, the group who would be the favorite to get the San Antonio out of the West if you didn't pick North Carolina. And I think Michigan's going to be the trendy pick out there. Um, I just don't see anybody from the top half of that bracket Sherelle, that could make a move on the bottom half, but what's your thought there? I, I think, again, I don't stay up late and watch a ton of West Coast <laughs> basketball, but from what I've seen from Gonzaga a couple of times, I think they are a good team. I think they're not quite what they were last year, and obviously they were, you know, I think, the number two overall seed maybe last year, um, but I think they're a good team, and I think they're going to give Xavier everything they can handle, especially, you know, if Xavier makes it and if they make it, especially in Los Angeles. I mean, there's no disrespect to the Xavier fan base, but I think there's going to be a lot more Gonzaga fans in LA than there will be Xavier fans. And, when, you know, that kind of stuff comes into play. Just like we're talking about UNC playing essentially two home games in Charlotte. It's not going to be that much of an advantage for Gonzaga in LA, but it will be an advantage. So uh, if they both make it, I, I think Gonzaga, um, if, if I were putting together a bracket that was for, uh, was for money or for, you know, for whatever purpose I was putting a bracket together for, I would put Gonzaga over Xavier right now, just just looking at it on paper. Yeah, I hope Sherelle doesn't offend all the Xavier fans that are listening to the Inside Carolina podcast. Um, uh, both of them. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm just looking at the Gonzaga roster. I mean, I don't really recognize any of these names. Um, they've lost so many players from that uh, championship team, uh, national championship game team last year. And so, uh, obviously, they're well-coached and have had a pretty uh, good season so far, but they did lose a lot. Um, I think the only name I recognize is Jonathan Williams, a, a senior there. I think one team that's being overlooked in this bracket because Michigan, like Tommy said, will be the trendy pick because they've been playing so well is Houston. And if you, you talk mm-hmm. about matchups, Houston is a top-20 team nationally defensively, and they shoot lights out from the perimeter. They're shooting 39% from three. A very good defensively. And Michigan's very good defensively as well. They have not had the success from long range that, that we've seen them have in, in past years. Uh, you know, I watched uh, at downtime in, in New York and was able to watch a lot of that American Athletic Conference tournament. And you know, Wichita State is a legitimate team. And Houston beat them on Saturday. And then they lost by point to Cincinnati, which is a, another very good team that Mick Cronin has. Uh, so I think Houston is is a is a challenge, and I think if they somehow get past Michigan, uh, that could be a, a tough matchup for the Tar Heels. Yeah, yeah. Gary Clark, Gary it, Clark, got to give shout out to the hometown Clayton kid, Gary Clark, making the winning free throw in that Cincinnati win over Houston. Go ahead, Sherelle. And I was just going to say, you know, Houston is coached by Kelvin Sampson, who uh, actually is a, a native of North Carolina, um, but his teams always at Oklahoma and Indiana, they always played great defense. That was never an issue. And so, like Greg was saying, it's kind of an evolution, like the Kelvin Sampson 2.0. They're still good defensively, but now they can shoot. Um, so that it is pretty scary because they are great at, you know, mucking it up. Um, we talked about that a little bit earlier in the week, how Carolina did that against Duke. Um, Houston is very good at uh, the times I've pl- I watched them. And then knowing how Kelvin Sanson plays, they're very good at just kind of making things ugly. Um, and then now they have the ability to score. So I agree with Greg that they could be an issue as well. And how so. about North Carolina getting six teams in the NCAA tournament? That's pretty good. Yeah, I heard that Davidson, them winning, knocked out uh, Notre Dame. So yeah. Davidson in that championship game knocked out another ACC team. Uh, obviously, Notre Dame getting Bonzi Colson back and obviously looking better now than they did earlier in the season. 
I wanted to talk about that, and John, I don't mean to steal it from you, but I, uh, after we take a break a little bit later, I, I want to talk about Notre Dame not getting in and Syracuse getting in because I, I just think, to me, that's ridiculous uh, on its face. But kudos for Davidson Central. You got to love that Lavelle Moton's in the in the tournament, and uh, but six North Carolina teams, state of North Carolina teams. I, I'd wager, Greg, you'd be the stat guy, but I'd wager that's the most. It's got to be the most by any state in the country, right? I think it. Ties I think Brian it. Ives said that was what tied the uh, most for UNC for UNC for for North Carolina uh, history. So that's got to be a record nationally, I would think. Yeah, and I was going to say my big upset is going to be Central over Xavier. I'm just going to say it. Legal Eagles, they're going to get it done. But yeah. you know, everyone's favorite analyst, Andy Katz has officially picked Michigan over North Carolina, and he's got Xavier and Michigan playing for that Final Four spot. So, you know, a little bit of food for thought there. Let's not forget about UNCG and uh, yeah. Wes Miller. The fighting Wes Millers. Favorite son of the, the Tar Heels there, and a, obviously a hot coaching name. I talked to some people at the AC tournament. I mean, he's obviously going to be a, a prime candidate to, to get a, a much bigger job after this season, considering what he's done there. Um, and like, I guess what, five or six years he's been there. Pretty incredible. Yeah. So, all right, guys, let's go ahead and uh, take a break. And then when we come back, let's talk about the rest of the brackets, because, you know, I think there are a lot of very interesting regions this year. So let's go ahead and hit those. But we'll return after these messages. And today, guys, I wanted to talk with everyone about shaving. Such a fun topic, I know. But if you are one of those guys that uses your razor way past the time when you're supposed to, I know I am just so hesitant to throw out blades because I think I can get another one or two shaves out of them. And it can lead to skin irritation. You know, you start cutting up your face in a way that's just not good for anyone. But fortunately for us, there is Harry's. Harry's is a razor company that takes away the guesswork. They provide high-quality razor blades at a great price, and they actually send you the blades on a set schedule so you know when it's time to switch. So Harry's is a great shave at a fair price. Over 3 million people have switched over to Harry's. It was initially started by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary regular guys that got fed up with being charged an arm and a leg by the big razor brand companies. So they purchased their own razor blade producing factory in Germany that churns out high quality blades and by eliminating the middleman, they're able to provide them to their customers at a great price. They are so confident that you are going to love their blades. They're willing to give the listeners of the Inside Carolina podcast a trial shave set for free when you sign up at harrys.com slash inside Carolina. There is no obligation and the only thing that you pay for is shipping. So again, to get your free trial offer from Harry's, which is a $13 value for free, you just need to go to harrys.com slash inside Carolina. Your free trial set includes a weighted ergonomic razor handle, five precision engineered blades with a lubricating strip and a trimmer blade on the back, a rich lathering shave gel, which I love personally, and a travel blade cover. So again, to get that free trial set, go to harrys.com slash inside Carolina right now. That's harrys.com slash inside Carolina. 
And we are back with the Inside Carolina podcast, the roundtable discussion of the 2018 NCAA tournament. Guys, when we left, we had kind of exhausted the talk about Carolina's bracket out west. But let's uh, start focusing on some other ones. Sherelle, let's start with you for this one, man. What's uh, the bracket that you think is going to be the most intriguing one out of the remaining three? Uh, definitely the South. Um, I think it's an easy answer just because you've got a potential Arizona and Kentucky matchup in the second round, um, which reminds me of a couple of years ago when uh, Carolina was the one seed. And just the Carolina fans just lost their minds because they're like, here we go again. We're going to get Kentucky uh, in the Sweet 16 and Indiana, like, beat Kentucky fairly easily. And Carolina ended up playing Indiana, and that's the game Marcus Page got his group back. Anyway, um, so I, I think <laughs> I think Arizona-UK would be a really good game. I still don't see either of those teams. Um, if UVA is able to get by the Creighton-Kansas State winner, I really don't see Arizona or Kentucky giving UVA um, that close of a game just because I think Kentucky, well, I'll, I'll take that back. I think Kentucky won't give UVA that much of a game because they just, I don't think they have it. Um, they don't have the maturity. They don't have the scoring ability to hang with UVA. Arizona could, if DeAndre Ayton just kind of goes next level, which he's capable of, but um, just that top half of, of, of the South bracket to me is the most intriguing by far, mostly because of those uh, three big names. That's some things people always forget, and Shreya, you always pointed out. I mean, there, there's 16 teams in the bracket. They, you're only going to play four of them, and folks freak out when they see it loaded up. Greg, come to you on the toughest bracket out there, you think. I think the East is the easiest. I think the West and maybe the Midwest are in the middle. So I think the South is the toughest, but I think I've seen a lot of folks saying the Midwest is the hardest. Your thoughts? I don't think the Midwest is the hardest. You think the East is the easiest? Look, I mean, we, my son and I sat down and, and ran the numbers, and I'll repeat them here. <laughs> I test. I test. Yeah, but if you look at, if you look at the, the top eight seeds in each region and you look at their stats against Quadrant 1 opponents, the West has won 54.3% of their games. 50 and 42. A lot of that do, of course, UNC's 14 to Q1 wins. The East is second at 52.9. South 50.6. And Midwest 48.9. Midwest is 45 and 47 in their top eight against Q1 teams. South is only 41 and 40. And that's significant because I think Virginia was like 12 and 1. Um, But if you look at the, I mean, if you look at the East, I mean, you got Colin Sexton staring at Villanova in the second round if they can get by Virginia Tech. And I know Bama's not great, but, man, that kid is is phenomenal. I think Villanova, for sure, to me, is – I have to say they're number two right now behind Virginia. But, man, they got got two of the best players in the country uh, in Brunson and Bridges. I mean, those are two guys you do not want to face in this tournament. West Virginia – I know they have a tendency to choke late in games. I don't know if that's a, a Bobby Huggins type thing or what. They should have won that game against Kansas, but they're very good. I love Greg Marshall. I think he's a great coach. Wichita State's a four seed. Texas Tech has had a good year. Arkansas is decent. I think Purdue's very good. I, I think there's a lot of teams in the East that can potentially make a run, even though I think Villanova for sure is, is the best team there. Um, and I think if you look at the Midwest, I understand a lot of people say, whoa, Kansas and Duke. Kansas is better than people give them credit for. 
And I just don't think Duke is as good as people think they are. They have a lot of talent, uh, but that team has just not come together. I mean, Marvin Bagley is a phenom. He just does not have a lot around him. Grayson Allen is a you know, nutcase. There's no <laughs> question about it. Michigan State is a three seed. Again, that's a team that has more athleticism than really anybody in the country, maybe than Duke. But what have they done? And they haven't lived at that potential. Auburn. I mean, they were a top, what, five team two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and they were a four seed. Clemson, they lost their best player, Dante Grantham. Um, and so I'm not impressed at all with the Midwest. And I have to say, I, you know, the West, because UNC has had such good Q1 wins, and you like that bracket. Uh, but I, I think, I, to me, the East is, is the toughest, toughest region. Why did Michigan State get such a low seed at, uh, or I guess, uh, not as high of a seed as they should have? You know, twenty nine and four. What was your take on that, Greg? They hadn't beaten anybody, Greg. You've got the stats and sure, but I think their best wins clearly Carolina, right? Yeah, for sure. And if you let's see here, I've got it right here. They're uh, sixteen in the RPI. They're three and four against Q one teams. North Carolina by far their best win. They got a home win over Purdue. And then they've got a road win at Maryland. Those are the three best wins. It just Maryland's seems like a lot. terrible. Maryland sucks. <laughs> yeah, seems like a lot of wins. And I mean, I'm seeing them in Portland. They look super good there. I think that's a scary. Oh yeah, um, they got a ton of potential. No doubt, no doubt. A lot of athleticism. Yeah. I, I'm with Ross on that one. I was a little surprised that it, when the it started getting serious with the Lunardis and the Jerry Palms and those guys who do this for a living or part of a living. Uh, I was surprised to see Michigan State as a three. And then I was like, well, they just got it wrong. Michigan State will be a two. And then sure enough, here they are as a three. I, I just, I don't know. They seem, I, I guess it is the quadrant one stuff. And like I said, they are paying it more attention than maybe we thought originally, but 29 and four, one of the best teams in, in the big 10, all that talent. I, I don't know. Yeah. They just seem like they're underseated to me. And you, you play who you who's on your schedule. It's not. I mean, it's just you plays in front of you, so right? That I you mean, control like, who you schedule, and I think they're like twenty-one and O or something against Q four teams or something like that. Q three and four teams, but like Greg said, three and four against Q one teams. At the risk of being embarrassed by Greg, it's like who did who did who did Xavier really beat to be that much higher than Michigan State? Like I see they beat Cincinnati. That's a good win. Um, Butler, okay, Butler, cool, whatever. Uh, Butler twice. I'm sorry, Creighton. Like there's, I mean, I, I don't. To me, Xavier. To me, Michigan State deserved a one seed more than Xavier. Carolina deserved a one seed more than Xavier. I just don't see it with Xavier being a one seed and Michigan State being a three. To me, that that's a little off. Yeah, I totally agree. If you look at Xavier's record, you're going to get me fired up now, Sherelle. They played <laughs> their their top five games were against teams Villanova twice, Cincinnati, and two games against Providence. They lost four of those five games, and Villanova smoked them. Villanova beat them by 24 at Villanova and by 16 at Xavier. So their best win is a home win over Cincinnati. And yet they're getting all this love. I, I, I don't get that. I don't, that's why I think if, and I'll, I'll, I'll go to my deathbed on it, but even though UNC had nine losses going into the ACC title game, I don't understand how you can look at the resumes and say, if UNC beats Virginia, how Xavier in any shape or you know, form or fashion deserves a one over the Tar Heels. Oh, I, I do think the 7-10 matchup is a better to, better. Uh, matchup than Missouri, Florida State, 
for whatever yeah, it's worth in the I West agree. as well. Yep. yep. Well, let me ask you all this. Why is Purdue a two seed ahead of Michigan State? Because Purdue had a couple, you know, they had a little bit of a hot run then, but then they fell off too. And, you know, their path to the Big Ten championship or big whatever they call themselves now, they still the Big Ten. They had a pretty easy path and they still got the benefit of being a two seed. Well, I'll say, I'll say if you kind of look at what they've done, I mean, they beat Louisville, which, I mean, granted, Louisville didn't make the tournament, but that's a decent win. I mean, that's that's scheduling outside of conference. Uh, they they played Tennessee. I know they lost, but, I mean, that that's a kind of a mark on your schedule because Tennessee was a top-10 RPI team. They're able to beat Michigan two out of three times. Uh, they beat Arizona on a neutral court. So I understand why Purdue got, got a higher seed than Michigan State. Uh, but – one thing I'm curious, there's a lot of love for the Big Ten this year. We're going to find out if it was warranted um, because you know, Michigan is kind of like UNC in that they don't have the size down low, and granted, Bayline doesn't necessarily play that way anyway. Uh, but there's some limitations there, like UNC has. Uh, but there's so many big names in the in the Big Ten that apparently have had great years. I'm curious to see how that translates because Michigan State – they don't really have that resume. Purdue's resume is okay. That's not great. Michigan's resume is kind of the same way. So I'm curious to see how, how that plays out in the NCAA tournament. Isn't it crazy how UNC's schedule played out where there's teams that they, you know, randomly scheduled a couple of years ago end up being really good. They got Arkansas in Portland. You know, they had the loss to Michigan State, but then went over Michigan, which turned turn out to be pretty good. Went over Tennessee turned out to be a really good team. Who would have thought Tennessee was going to be as good as they were a couple years ago when that game was scheduled? Ohio State would start off pretty bad. I mean, it's crazy how things worked out for UNC in terms of their strength of schedule. And of course, they got Duke three times, which when you play Duke, you're going to, you know, when you have a chance to play the number five team and get a win over that, that's going to help your schedule there. So it's just crazy how it just worked out kind of to favor UNC in terms of strength of schedule. Uh, speaking of Tennessee, speaking of Tennessee, I, Sherell, I think they might be a dark horse out of the South. Now, it's tough to pick against Virginia, but I think Tennessee is going to be right there. So, uh, I live in Hickory, and Rick Barnes is from Hickory, so I hate to say something bad about a fellow (laughs) person from Hickory, but I just don't trust Rick Barnes in the tournament. And that's no disrespect to him, but he hasn't given me (laughs) the trust him. I mean, you know, he had some tremendous teams at Texas and they just, they never were able really to do much. Um, You know, he had a couple of good teams with TJ Ford. He didn't do much with Kevin Durant. Um, So until Tennessee does something in the tournament, until Rick Barnes does something in the tournament, I'm going to assume that they're not going to. I think Virginia wins this tournament. If you want to get, start getting into bigger predictions and final four predictions after seeing them play last night on Saturday, I I think Virginia is the strongest team and how they play and how they make it so hard to defend you and then and how they defend. It is incredible. That's what I'm going with for my pick if you want to jump into some broader predictions. Well, I'll tell you why I don't think they will. Carolina did not play well against Virginia in crunch time, and they were still right in it. I think they had three straight possessions. They could have cut it down to two or one or maybe even tied at one time, and Carolina couldn't get it done. I think in the tournament, Cal guys not going to go nuts every single night, and I think Virginia – allows the team to stay in it and gets beat at some point, maybe even before the regional final, but I don't think they make the final four. That'll be my overarching pick on the Wahoos, but we can talk about final four picks for sure. 
Yeah, well, real quick, I mean, how shocked would any of you guys be if, like, Creighton was to upset Virginia in the second round? Very shocked. You're going to get us all killed if you start talking about Creighton doing something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but, you know, Carolina fans, they, they know, I mean, Creighton hasn't, they haven't changed their stripes. They're basically the same style of team that knocked Carolina, that, you know, that, well, they didn't knock Carolina out, but they basically ruined, they did ruin Carolina's chances that year, and I think they could give Virginia a game. Maybe I'm just crazy, but I, I can see them kind of sticking in there and possibly pulling that big-time upset. Well, one thing we know about Creighton is that they're they're going to be a very solid um, offensive team, and I think that's bared out. Uh, I need to check, but I think they're like top 25 in uh, Ken Pomeroy's ratings for adjusted offensive efficiency. And then I know Marcus Foster is a really good player. Mitchell Ballack is a really good shooter. Um, they have a kid named Mintz who's really good. Tyshawn Alexander, who actually is from Charlotte, will be playing in the game. So they have weapons, but I, I just don't see that. I, I'm with Ross. I think uh, I'm normally didn't believe in UVA the last few years, but after seeing how they played when, you know, they held Duke to 60-something in Cameron, they shut Carolina down twice. Um, I just think they're, they're primed uh, this year, and I think they have a great chance of winning the title. Yeah, I think John makes makes a good point, and I'll, I'll say, I mean, Creighton offensively is fantastic. Uh, I mean, they're, they're top 10 in effective field goal percentage. They're top five in two-point field goal percentage. And I think one way to beat Virginia is to make Isaiah Wilkins come out on the perimeter, and Creighton plays a small lineup. Uh, and I think if Theo Pinson had had any kind of decent game Saturday night, maybe we'd be talking about a, a kind of a different outcome. But he just did not have his offensive game plan. And part of that was due to Wilkins. But I think if you can get him out of the paint, uh, that makes it a little bit more challenging for the Cavaliers. Having said that, um, I'm with Ross that you watch Virginia and you're like, okay, there's no NBA prospects on this team. I mean, maybe DeAndre Hunter in a couple years. So where's the talent? But then you watch them defend and you watch them make clutch baskets. And uh, they, it, it is phenomenal. Um, they make you pay for every mistake that occurs, and they make clutch shots. Uh, they are very, very good. I, I don't know, you know, I, the stats tell me they're better than Villanova. I think Villanova has two better players in Brunson and Bridges. Um, but I think this is the year for Virginia to, to make a Final Four push. I like Tony Bennett. So I'll be rooting for them. Uh, but if they don't make it this year, uh, uh, yeah, it's going to be tough for them to, to bounce back because they're playing so well right now. Should we do uh, go around and pick our Elite Eight teams or Final Four teams? Let's do sure. Final Four. Can you start, four. Ross? Go ahead, man. All right, cool. I'll go Virginia in the South. Coming out of the South, the, the Cavaliers. I will go – and. I mean, I'm not one to just pick UNC because I cover UNC, but I will go North Carolina out of the West, coming out of LA, <laughs> sunshine of LA. Um, hopefully, be there with with Gregory. I'll go. Um, man, I didn't like seeing any of these teams play. Let's go. <laughs> I'll go uh, Villanova, all chalk so far. Then I'll go Mich- Villanova out of the East, and I'll go Michigan State out of the Midwest uh, with Izzo's coaching. Some uh, some elite talent there. They were just so long and athletic when they played UNC. I guess that was November, so it's super long ago. But you got to pick an upset somewhere. And Kansas doesn't really – they're good, but I don't think they're overwhelmingly good. And they, they have that one big man that I think UNC recruited. 
that when he's out, they don't have much else in terms of size. So I'll go with uh, Virginia, UNC, Villanova, and Kansas having the Tar Heels and the, and the Wahoos face off in the first game of the Final Four. All right, Tommy, I know you, you're trying to, to you know avoid this, but let's hear yours, man. Come on. Uh, <laughs> I was trying to get Sherelle to go before me. Let's see. Um I'm just not sold on Virginia. I'd love to see Cincinnati out there, but I don't think they'll do it because I think Tennessee beats them in the thing. I, I'll say uh, I'll say Tennessee out of the South. Whew. I'd do something different. Uh, I'll say Carolina out of the West, assuming everybody's healthy. Of course, that can be said by any team. Out of the East, I just don't see anybody that can beat Villanova, to be honest with you. I don't, nobody in that region, and I know Greg talked about Wichita State, but just nobody in that region can beat Villanova, I think. And I, I like Jay Wright a lot. I think he's a pretty cool dude. Seems to be a pretty cool dude. Dresses to perfection, and my wife <laughs> loves him too. So, um, And then out of the Midwest, you know, I hate to pick Kansas, but they've got a local – kids on the team i think nc state if they got by seton hall could provide a scare to kansas and i agree with the prevailing thought that duke's just not as good as they think it wouldn't surprise me to see michigan state or tcu take duke out so i'll go hmm, against my better judgment kansas out of the midwest and so i've got tennessee and carolina in the final four and kansas and villanova on the other side in san antonio all right, Rel, you're up, buddy. Can I do like the you know the announcers at the beginning of the games? Like, well, I've got to call this one, so I'm not going to make a prediction. Can I do that? No. Oh. Why do you never make predictions? Man up. <laughs> oh gosh. Um. So let's go UVA out of the South. Um. I do think, I do think you know their defense when it's playing at its best is better than anybody else's uh, offense. Uh. Out of the West. Uh. I, I worry about UNC when they get to LA and they're shooting and whether or not, you know, if Cam Johnson or Joel Berry has an off night from three, are they going to be able to make up against a team like say Michigan or Houston? Are they going to be able to make up those points? So I'm going to go Gonzaga from the West. Uh, then I will go, I think with the prevailing wisdom of Villanova in the East, but I do like Texas tech there. And then I'm going to make everybody upset. Um, I, so again, my personal philosophy is that you know you pick the teams who do things uh, when they do them at their best. They're hard to beat, and when Duke is clicking, clicking offensively, uh, it's they're very difficult to beat. So I'll go Duke Midwest, I'll go Villanova East, I'll go UVA South, and I'll go Gonzaga West. All right, mm. I'm gonna go next because I want Greg to go last since he's gonna have the most well-educated and fact-based <laughs> bracket out of all of us. I got just. You know, I'll just rattle them off. Cincy, UNC, Villanova, Michigan State. So, that's good. Greg, that's up. Yeah, You're well, up. I, uh, I appreciate the uh, the praise, but I think Sherelle is on to something. Um, <clears throat> I, I think I think Gonzaga is the team to watch out for in the West. Uh, I think they they never get enough credit during the regular season due to where they play, but they always take care of business. Um, and I think I think they may be the most well-rounded team in the West. So I've got Gonzaga in the Final Four as well. 
the Midwest, you could really just kind of throw a, a dart at that because all these teams have so much potential, but have just kind of stubbed their toe so much this year. So I'll go, I'll go Kansas there. I think Villanova for sure comes out of the East. I think that's just a, a solid team. And then I'm going to go with the upset that nobody will like because of the NCAA FBI mess. I think Zona upsets Virginia, and I think that gets them to the Final Four. I like that pick because I think Virginia will beat Kentucky like a drum, but they could lose to Arizona. And let me make a point, and Greg, I won't, no, I want Sherelle to respond to this since I think it was you that said it. I think in the NCAA tournament, it's not about who plays their best and wins. It's about who can play terrible and still win. And I don't think Carolina can. I think Virginia might be able to, but I think a team like Michigan State might be able to do that and well, I'm, win ball games. I'm not going to defend Duke too much on the Inside Carolina podcast. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, if you can throw the ball to Marvin Bagley and Wendell Carter, now granted they haven't done that, you know, Marvin Bagley got 13 shots against UNC, but if they actually use the advantages that they have, then they can withstand Grayson Allen and Gary Trent shooting two for whatever, because they just throw the guy, throw the ball down to those two guys and they can't be stopped. There's no one in the country when those two guys get the ball inside that can stop them. Uh, not Arizona, not UVA, even though UVA did it at Duke um, when they're playing at their highest level, then I think their offense trumps everything. Well, yeah, but, can their offense play at that level? I mean, I think that's the the biggest question. Um, right. But, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a fair point though. But like you said, I mean, let's uh let's not not praise Duke any more than we have to. Let's go ahead and start wrapping it up, then, guys. Tommy, I'm gonna let you jump on the soapbox here because you were highly questionable about Notre Dame missing the tournament, and you know, go ahead and just rant there for a little bit, man, on on why you think that they should gotten in. Well, I'd love to hear Greg's response to this. And it's not that Notre Dame should have gotten in. It's that Oklahoma got in ahead of them. Syracuse got in ahead of them. And I just think that's ridiculous. I mean, Notre Dame played half their season without their best player and some of the games without their second best player and still finished, I think they were tied with Syracuse, but were higher seeded in the ACC tournament to Syracuse. Oklahoma was two and eight. I like Charles Barkley saying either the, even though the TBS special was terrible, I like Charles Barkley uh, response to the tournament seeding guy when he said, were they the number one seed before they went two and eight? And I just think every year there's always those teams. I think Notre Dame got hosed, but Greg, I'm sure you'll set me straight in some form before we get out of here. Well, I think, I think what it comes down to is when you look at, Notre Dame, they were two and nine against Q1 opponents. And I think kind of the, the, the damning thing for them is even when they had Bonzi, they lost at home to Ball State. That is a bad loss. Uh, they lost to Indiana. That is a bad loss. They did not show up against Michigan State. I mean, that was a blowout. Granted, that was at Michigan State. Um, and then you go on that, that bad losing streak where you lose seven in a row in ACC play. And so you're you're looking at an RPI uh, of I think they finished it at 70, so you're you're fringe, and then you compare that to Syracuse who's 45, they have few four Q1 wins, and then if you look at Oklahoma, and granted, I, 
I'll say this. There's no doubt the only reason they're in the tournament is because they have a, a guard that ESPN has hiked all year long and who shoots incredible amount of shots. Uh, he's not the most efficient kid, but he's fun to watch. But, I mean, even even Oklahoma, they were 6-9 and nine against Q1 teams, and they were top 50 RPI. Uh, but, but I think the fact that Notre Dame didn't show enough when they had Bonzi and the fact they were not able to pull out that win against Virginia to close the regular season or to, to win against Duke in the ACC tournament. Um, I think if you win either of those games, there's no doubt that they're in. And then it's also the matter of if, if Davidson – doesn't do what they did at the end of the year and still the conference championship and a bid Notre Dame's in the tournament. So it's just, it's just so slim a margin, but Syracuse's resume is just a hair better than what Notre Dame had. Um, but I am of the opinion, if you're going to let Oklahoma in due to a, a talented showcase for their guard, why not put Bonzi Colson in considering that he missed so many games? I don't have an argument there but I get it if you're looking strictly at resume. Hey, the one good thing is now Bonzi Colson can be on, on the three-on-three tournament for the ACC squad. Because let's not forget, that's going to be <laughs> – hey, it's going to be interesting. I, I, we, we haven't talked about it at all, but, you know, that's uh, – they're doing that this year with the three-on-three with the seniors. So, you know, Bonzi can just represent the ACC then, I guess. Lord have mercy. <laughs> all right, guys, that's a good place to wrap it up then. I appreciate the discussion, everyone. We will be back later on the week with a lot more discussion on the NCAA tournament. So for all of us here at Inside Carolina, thanks, and we'll talk with everyone again soon. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports, your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie.